This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. What happens when you take two really big sea creatures, an 80s pop icon, and a man whose best film was his very first more than 40 years ago? It's Mega Monster Mayhem and it starts right now on It Isn't That Bad. Welcome, welcome, welcome to It's Not That Bad, the podcast where we look for A grades and B movies. I'm your host, Jason. Welcome to the show. Let me explain what we're all about here on the show, because this is episode number one. So we kind of have to get this out of the way. Our mission is to take some of the worst movies out there. You know, the ones where people sit there and go, oh my God, how did this get made? This is so bad. It's a dumpster fire or worst movie ever. Well, you know what? We're going to take those movies and we're only going to say good things about it. Zero negativity in this podcast whatsoever. So that's the deal. Really bad movies, but we're going to find the silver linings in them. We're going to put a whole lot on the back burner. We're going to sit there and do our best to not talk trash about the movies that might be trash. And for this first episode, I've given myself a little bit of a tough one because today's episode, we're looking at Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus. I I will admit, I I full disclosure here, I love me a good B movie, especially if it's a good, you know, B monster movie. I love the Toei Godzilla films. Like there, there's just something really wholesome about someone in a rubber suit stomping on little model towns. I don't know what it is. Call me weird. I've been called weird before on way too many occasions. You know, I'll I'll fly my freak flag on this one. Give me a, a monster movie any day. But here we have in 2009, Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus. So if you've never even heard of this here's what we're going to do we're going to take the the description of the movie as written now i watched this on tubi by the way tubi great spot for free movies especially if you like some movies that are of um questionable quality uh like this one uh there's some good stuff on there there's some other good stuff on there too so enjoy tubi it's it's great but we're going to take the description from there and it's time to trailerize it Two prehistoric sea creatures, a mega shark and a giant octopus, fight to the death on the California coast. Who will reign supreme over the sea? Yeah, that might just be the most exciting thing about the movie. It's not the best movie, but 
it is what it is. So l- let's give you a little background on this. So it was released in 2009, and yes, it does star 80s pop icon Debbie Gibson and Lorenzo Lamas. It's made by a company called the asylum now if you've ever heard of the asylum um i'm sorry but if you haven't heard of the asylum what they're known for is what they themselves i think refer to as mockbusters so when you think about you know the movies that come out like pacific rim pacific rim comes out they put out atlantic rim snakes on a plane comes out they put out snakes on a train, the mockbuster. It's basically one little tweak to, to the movie, and then they basically do their own version of it. You know, pure camp, even if it's unintentional. So, I mean, like, obviously this one, you have a big shark versus a big octopus. But this movie actually started to spawn its own cinematic universe if you will the the mega shark verse if you will because this was the first of four four mega shark movies i after this one there was mega shark versus crocosaurus there was mega shark versus mecha shark because if you have a big giant monster movie you need to have a mecha of the same animal to go in there that that's just godzilla rule 101 and then mega shark versus colossus now debbie gibson didn't star in all of them um mega shark versus crocosaurus uh starred jaleel white yeah urkel urkel versus the giant shark <laughs> which might have actually been a better movie title now that i come to think of it but yeah urkel versus the giant sh- the giant shark that was that was the second one but debbie gibson you know we're gonna get to her in a little bit you know but i mean if, if you think about you know her career when she came onto the pop scene like she was literally the biggest thing on the pop scene in the 80s you know uh only my dreams came out uh foolish beat electric youth like like debbie gibson was it was like it was debbie gibson and tiffany you know like as far as 80s pop went you know throwing a little martika wire there um but then you know after i think it was her third album she kind of disappeared off the off the she was still making music but you know not as prevalent because you know we were into the 90s we were into grunge you know so that was you know you know bye bye pop divas right so now she comes out with and she did some acting beforehand she did um true story true story so so aside from this one there was a movie called my girlfriend's boyfriend um but there was also this little 1984 film so even before, uh, you know, the, the Out of the Blue album came out, there was this little 1984 film that was set in uh, New York City. And it was about four guys who got done up in um, coveralls and put these big backpacks on and chased ghosts around New York. Ghostbusters. Debbie Gibson is in Ghostbusters. Now, how did I know this? It's on, hey, it's on IMDb. But, you know, so... There's the scene where Rick Moranis' character, Lewis, is being like chased around the, um, you know, the Central Park. And he gets to the tavern on the green and then he's up against the, the, the window and he turns around and then like the, the, the you see the dog, the, the demon dog growl. Then he kind of slides down. So of all the patrons in the restaurant at that time, a young Debbie Gibson is actually at the restaurant she was an extra on the film according to imdb so so there you go so three years before you know the the debut album comes out there's debbie gibson in new york watching rick moranis being eaten by a demon dog 
try explaining that one. But, you know, <laughs> aside from that. So, yeah, so Debbie Gibson's done quite a bit of acting. And I mentioned in the, uh, you know, in the teaser that, you know, you had an actor whose biggest movie in his career was this first, you know, almost 40 years ago. And that, of course, is Lorenzo Lamas. So what was that movie? That movie was Grease. He played Tom Chisholm in Grease. And, you know, of course, Grease is, you know, one of the pinnacles of, of movie musicals. You know, he also appeared in Falcon Crest. And, of course, he was Jack Soldier Kelly in the Snake Eater movie. So, you know, Lorenzo Lamas has had an acting career. Not necessarily the best acting career, but he's had an acting career. Um, so, but you, know, you if, if you start at Greece, where do you go? Apparently, Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus is where you go. But see, the thing is, like with this movie, like as you know, bad as it looked, people were interested in it. Like I remember when when this you know, when the trailer came out for this, watching this and the the CG. The CG doesn't necessarily hold up to, well, the CG doesn't even hold up to 2009 standards. But let's be honest, the CG doesn't necessarily hold up. But people watched that trailer. It was just so outlandish. Like the the, the entire concept of having Debbie Gibson in a big CGI monster movie that looked as camp as it did. The trailer got watched so many times that... That year, 2009, Yahoo actually had that trailer listed in the top 10 movie trailers of that year based on based on views. At the time, it had more views than Avatar's trailer. That's how just just widespread when you think about, you know, let me put it into perspective. Do you remember the first time you watched the video for What Does the Fox Say? And then you watched it again because you weren't quite sure what fever dream you were having because you watched What Does the Fox Say? And then you sent it to your friend saying, I've watched this twice. I'm not quite sure if I need to go to a hospital because I might be on something and I'm not quite sure about it. Please tell me I'm not hallucinating this video. That's how many times that video got watched. Same thing with this. You watched it. You watched it again because you weren't quite sure. Then you called some friends over. He said, have you seen this? This is ridiculous. You watch it with them and then they give it to their friends and they give it to their friends. And, you know, you know, then they have to apologize to their friends for sending them that trailer. Like that's how big the trailer was at the time because it was just so camp. It was so camp, at least with some recognizable names, you know. And the funny thing is. This was actually now Asylum is known for putting their videos straight to DVD or straight to streaming, right? Um, this was the first Asylum film to actually have a theatrical release, according to Box Office Mojo. This film was released in the UK in the theaters and earned a whopping seven hundred and twenty-two dollars. Seven hundred and twenty-two dollars. <laughs> Yeah, um, not the biggest, you know, you know, it's not Avatar. You know, you think about all the movies that came out in 2009, I guarantee you that this is not on the uh, top box office list, but it did get a theatrical release. And for a campy B-movie like this, that is still a big deal. Um, now, you kind of know this has to be bad when the director changes their name on the credits. 
You've heard of the whole Alan Smithy thing, right? If a director wants to have their name taken off the credits, you know, they they, they change their name to Alan Smithy because that's the, the the name that the director's guild had had kind of assigned to if you don't want to, you know, be associated with the film for whatever reason. Normally it's the director saying, Yeah, like the, the studio was taken away, final cut from me, or the 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 movie has changed so much in the edit that it's no longer their movie, that's when they pull their name and Boom, there you go. It's no longer, it's still there directing, um, but it's not their name on it. So if you were to watch the movie and you didn't know this, you sit there and go, oh, Ace Hanna directed this. Ace Hanna doesn't exist. Jack Perez exists. Jack Perez actually did, this was one of two films that uh, Jack Perez had uh, directed for the asylum. The other was uh, 666, um, but he didn't call himself Ace Hanna for that one. Jack Perez is also known for directing Wild Things 2 and a movie, and I love the title of this movie, Some Guy Who Kills People. That is the name of a movie that Jack Perez directed. I I need to see this film. Maybe we will do Some Guy Who Kills People on this podcast eventually, but for now, I'm I am just like that 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 is, you know. That is, you know, hobo with a shotgun level, um, you know, snakes on snakes on a plane level movie titling. Some guy who kills people. <laughs> Open invitation, Jack Perez. If you want to come on the show and talk about some guy who kills people, I will happily talk some guy who kills people with you. I am madly curious about this film. But where does the name Ace Hannah comes from? Because it's not Alan Smithy. It's not Alan Smithy. Because Ace Hannah, the the name Ace Hannah does exist. Because it was mentioned in the movie Veracruz. So Veracruz is, you know, considered by some to be one of the first spaghetti western films. According to IMDb, uh, it's one of the fir- considered one of the first spaghetti western films. But Ace Hannah never appears in the film. It's literally a throwaway reference by Burt Lancaster's character in the movie. Burt Lancaster's character is talking about... Uh, this character Ace Hannah that that basically helped shape you know his character's you know current situation. So Ace Hannah is a fictional character that never actually appeared in a movie. He's he is a throwaway reference, and now it's a throwaway name as far as directors go. Um, how bad is this movie? How bad is this movie? So according to Rotten Tomatoes, all right. Right now, it's sitting at 18% on the tomato meter with a 20% audience score. So that's over 50,000 ratings on the audience score. Also, think about that. That means 50,000 people have watched this movie. 50,000 individual people have watched this movie and gone over to Rotten Tomatoes and rated it. And, you know, one-fifth of them said it was good. So it can't be that bad. It's a 20% audience score. Can't be that bad. Can't be all that bad. So let's t- it's time to break this movie down. And How we do it on this show is we're going to take it piece by piece. We're going to look at the acting. We're going to look at the cinematography. We're going to look at the editing. Remember, no trash talk. Right? We are literally here to point out the positives of quote-unquote, bad movies. Okay? We're not here to rip it. We're not here to trash it. We're here to actually point out what actually worked in the movie because when you think about it, 
a lot of people put a lot of time into these movies. And anyone with a social media account or a podcast, whatever, can sit there and dump on these movies till the cows come home. But a lot of good people put a lot of work into these movies. And some of it's actually really good. So I, I went through, I watched this movie again. Not gonna lie, I did watch this movie when it when it first came out because it's Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus, and as admitted before, I have uh, an affinity for monster movies, being rated monster movies. So watched it again. So let's let's start with the acting here, and of course, Deborah Gibson is the big star of the film. She's actually kind of enjoyable to watch in this. Like, take out the fact that she was an '80s pop star, you know, because yeah like that kind of the nostalgia factor kind of plays into it um i'm gonna put this out there and you can laugh at me if you want the first two cassettes that i ever got for myself as a christmas gift okay so you know two different two different presents one christmas one of the cassettes was debbie gibson's out of the blue the other cassette was Motley Crue's Shout at the Devil. So, got those. These were gifts. These were gifts. One person got it right. I'll let you decide which one it was. But two cassettes were given to me on the same Christmas. Debbie Gibson and Motley Crue Shout at the Devil. Um, I like a lot of music. Let's put it that way. Um, but you have to remember that... The scripts in these movies are not exactly Shakespearean in nature. So, you know, when you're sitting there and reading dialogue, like it, it's it's hard. Like to go in and to read someone else's words, it's hard. It is because more often than not, you don't sound like yourself. Now, if someone writes a script for you, if someone writes a script, period, they're probably writing it in their own voice because that's how they hear it in their head. And then someone else needs to take those words and make it sound naturally like them or make it sound naturally like the character that they are playing. So that's tough. That could be really, really tough. And she actually does a decent job making the most of the script that she's given. And, you know, yes, there are parts of the film where, you know, I, I think back to... You know, Star Wars, uh, Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. You know, first of all, prequel trilogy, Ewan McGregor shines. Absolutely shines. He's the best part of the prequel trilogy. But you think about Episode Two: Attack of the Clones, and one of the biggest, you know, kind of pushbacks on that film were, was the less than stellar dialogue between Hayden Christensen and Natalie Portman during the whole courting scenes. And because cheesy, maybe, possibly, the dialogue. Um, so, yeah, there, there's a little bit of that in, in this movie. There's a little bit of cheesy, you know, kind of, you know, shoehorned in romantic storyline kind of dialogue. But aside from that, you know, she's actually doing a decent enough job of working with the material given. You know, so, you know, full credit to Debbie Gibson. Um, one of the other actors in this is Sean Lawler. Now, if the name sounds familiar, but you can't really kind of place a face to it, go back and watch Braveheart. 
Sean Lawler played Malcolm Wallace in Braveheart. Um, and this Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus was actually one of the last movies that he was in before passing away. And he's just a treat in this film. Like he, you know, I, I can't really say that he let, you know, lended uh, a level of gravitas to the film because it is Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus. But he came in, he didn't overplay it. He didn't, you know, he didn't try to chew up the scenery with, with camp or whatever. He came in and just provided that, I can't even say elder statesman. He just provided like a, a level of warmth and comfort to this, this elder scientist who's helping Debbie Gibson stop a mega shark and a giant octopus. I mean, I never thought I'd hear myself say that exact sentence in this lifetime, but here we are. But, you know, he was a pleasure to watch. And the interesting thing is when you had Debbie Gibson and Sean Lawler playing off of each other, they were actually at their best. You know, if I'm making another Star Wars reference here, um, Mark Hamill in interviews previously talked about, you know, learning from Sir Alec Guinness when they were working on the very first Star Wars film together. And you could almost see like just this this camaraderie, just this comfort level between uh, Lawler and Gibson and their characters on screen. So when you had these, you know, these montages of the characters working together, you know, mixing color liquids to try and figure out how to, you know, get the shark and the octopus to fight each other. You know, spoiler alert, that's what happens. Um, you know, but when they're talking to each other, you really got this sense of a teacher and his prized pupil working together again. Like it was it was a very natural chemistry you know, on screen. And, you know, those were actually really good parts of the film. The other actor that comes to mind, it's not Lorenzo Lamas. It's Vic Chow. Now, Vic Chow uh, played, uh, was in Ready Player One, and he was pretty good too. Like, he didn't overcamp it. Uh, there was there were spots in it where, you know, he's literally just, you know, staring at the screen and, you know, trying to say all this dialogue that, you know, obviously if you hand the script to, to any sane person that sit there and go, I really have to say this, but, you know, he played it well. He played it really well. And again, with the three of them working together, they all played off each other well. It, it didn't, it wasn't camp. It wasn't camp. They, they, they seriously handled the, you know, the, the montage scenes, the working together scenes, the talking to each other scenes. You know, those scenes played well together. So full credit to Debbie Gibson, Vic Chow, and the late Sean Lawler um, for bringing a level of normalcy to a a CGI monster B movie. Um, Full kudos, full kudos. One of the other things that I love to look at is the cinematography in a film, you know, and the set design as well. So looking at some of this now, a lot of this was shot on sets that were designed to look like control rooms, submarine, like submarine interiors. But every now and then, every now and then, they got on location and whoever scouted out some of the locations did a really good job. They did actually a really, really good job. Uh, there, there's one scene um, early on in the film where 
you know, the, 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 the shark and the giant octopus have just been, you know, thawed out or, or released from their, their iceberg, you know, Captain America, like frozen in, you know, in, in, in carbonite type living. Um, and then the giant octopus, I guess, runs afoul of a, of a, of an oil drilling platform in the middle of the sea. So obviously they're not going to a proper oil drilling platform, but wherever they were, and I'm not quite sure what building they were at, but would, wherever they were, it was a really good location for that scene. Until of course the CGI octopus arms comes out and shakes everything. But there was a lot of good set location scouting in this film. And to the same token as well, when they were actually in set, they didn't just put up these these dark rooms and said, let's go with it. Whoever did the lighting for all of the interior sets, especially the submarine interior, quote unquote, they did a really good job of using a lot of color lighting, you know, not overly so. And in some cases, there, there was a little bit of overkill, but for the most part, the subtle lighting that they put in there to at least bring some vibrancy to what would normally be a flat, dead set scene, there was a lot of good lighting work in this. Like, a lot of good lighting work to the point of, you know, it could have looked bad. It could have looked really bad and really chess, but it didn't. It looked vibrant. It was it, it was full of life. So to you know to the the location set crew or the location scouting crew and to the lighting design crew like chef's kiss bravo you actually brought a lot of life to mega shark versus giant octopus congratulations now i mentioned the cgi earlier on in that (laughs) maybe it wasn't the best part of the film but We talked about the trailer. We talked about how many times that trailer was watched. And one of the scenes in that trailer is one of those scenes where if you admittedly, you've got to love B movies. You have to love B movies to be able to appreciate this. But there's this scene where there's a passenger, like a passenger jet, like 747 style plane that's flying over the water. And the mega shark jumps out and attacks the plane. It, it's it's such it's such a camp scene. It's so B movie. But if you don't smile while you're while you're watching this, you know, it's it's just you see that scene and go, I'm I'm sold. I need to watch this based on that scene alone. It's so out there. That it probably drew in more viewers than some of the dialogue in the trailer. So, you know, kudos for for making the, uh, you know, the absurd work for you. I I do have to point out something, though, when it comes to post-production. See, when it comes to films, you know, obviously there's a lot of sound effects and whatnot that are put in in post in order to be able to, you know, audibly bring life to a scene. So near the end of the film, when the mega shark and the giant octopus are fighting each other and they do these underwater CGI scenes of the, shark, of the octopus, their idea of sound effects was this slurping straw type sound. Like literally the octopus would move and all you hear would be <laughs> that was the sound effect that they thought gave 
the giant octopus. It's I I I I, don't, I can't even. I I literally cannot even. It sounds like someone like put a thing of Jello onto the microphone, grabbed a straw, went, and that's the, they're like that. That's that's the giant octopus. We're gonna use that. If you when you go to watch this movie, because I hope that you do. Make sure your your volume is turned up and try to not hear that now. I'm I'm sorry, not sorry, but it's out there now. Now you have to, now you have to kind of go with it. But uh, when it comes to the sound of this film, the MVP of this movie, the the absolute MVP of Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus, is Chris Ridenour. Well, who is Chris Ridenour? You say Chris Ridenour is the music composer for. Mega Shark vs. Giant Octopus. He's, he's worked on a number of Asylum films as well. The score for this film is actually really good. Like, it, it is. Like, it is quality music all the way through. It brought life. It wasn't distracting. It wasn't, you know, it didn't stand out as being stock music. Chris Redenauer did a phenomenal job of, of scoring this film, of, of bringing, of creating music to help bring to, to life this quote-unquote masterpiece. So, Chris Ridenour, congratulations. You are the absolute Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus MVP, and however much the Asylum paid you, I hope they, you know, they listen to this and double it and give you more money. Chris Ridenour, congratulations you made this movie so much better like i cannot stress how important music is to a film Uh, and i'm i'm gonna make the third star wars reference right now in a podcast episode about mega shark versus giant octopus when star wars the first star wars came out it's 1977 disco is huge it's all over the place and a lot of movies were using disco as their soundtrack. Star Wars went the other way. Star Wars got John Williams, came in, made the, one of the most iconic scores in movie history. And made, again, made Star Wars instead of a, you know, a space opera type, you know. I, I know Star Wars kind of came first, but Battlestar Galactica kind of thing. But like took it from, from one level and brought it to that next. You know, if you weren't walking out of the theaters when you saw Star Wars and and humming the music from you know from John Williams' score, you weren't listening properly. Chris Rittenauer, while maybe you know not John Williams level scoring, it's you know it, it, it's it's hard because Star Wars was a good film, right? John Williams just made it that much better. Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus is a, a film. <laughs> Chris Rittenauer brought his A game to the score of this film and the music actually makes a lot of the scenes enjoyable even when you know they're just using stock footage of scenery and whatnot or you know the 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 the, the monster fight scenes in the water there's good music through this whole thing so bravo bravo chris Ridenour, mvp and that's that is all the good points of Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus. Um, go watch the film. It almost the funny thing about watching B movies is that it makes you 
not just appreciate, you know, the good movies that, that are out there, but it also makes you appreciate just the art of filmmaking. You know, you can have good movies side by side with less than good movies. And, you know, all the work, all the work that these people put into these films, you know, it should be applauded. It doesn't necessarily need to be appreciated, but it should be applauded that they have created something that for an hour and a half, they have entertained and 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 made your day that much brighter. Because even if you didn't like the film, even if you thought the film was less than stellar, you still walked away with something to talk about. And for an hour and a half, you got to, you know, not worry about your worries for, for a day. So there you go. Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus actually making the world a better place. So go watch the film. You can actually watch it on Tubi right now. Um, go watch it. Go watch all the other Mega Shark movies. Just enjoy it. Go in there with zero expectations. Go in there. You know, you're not expecting, you know, you're not expecting Braveheart. You're not expecting, you know, Ice Spartacus. It's Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus. Go in there with those expectations. So that is the first episode of it's not that bad because really mega shark versus giant octopus is not that bad thank you thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode thank you for tuning into the show i hope you really enjoy it um every episode is going to be a new movie we're going to have some guests on as well if you have a movie that you think i can't find something good out of it let me know. Hit me up on Twitter. It's You can find us on Twitter at NotThatBadCast. And be sure to listen to my other podcast, Made You a Mixtape. You can find all these podcasts, this one and that one, wherever you get your podcasts, whether it be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Good Pods, uh, Podchaser, you name it, we're there. So thank you so much. Hope you tune in for the next time. Hit me up on Twitter. And hey, Grab some popcorn and go enjoy the movies. Take care. Mm-hmm.